Well, good morning, Grace. Good to see you. Uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Daniel Edson. I'm the student ministry's global director here, without tripping over everything up here. Um, and it's a joy to be able to open the God's Word together and to, to read it and to, man, just see what God wants to do in our hearts today. Um, before we get started, uh, just want to let you know, I mean, when we study Daniel in the book of Daniel, who else would be up here preaching on Daniel? <laughs> And there's not a book of Lewis. <laughs> and, 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 and as much as I love Kyle, it's not a book of Kyle. It's not a book of Doug or Danny. Or There's an angel named Michael, but he didn't have a book. So, I mean, Matt, Matt, yeah. I'm pretty important. So we're going to dive in um, to this. Told it getting. Um, hey, throughout this series, we have been focusing in on several different characters uh, we find in the story of the Bible. And our aim is to learn how God forms depth in our relationship with him and also see how God uses ordinary people like you and like me for his glory. And the beauty of the diversity of God's word is that when we look at characters like this, we can get and glean great theology, but we can also look at real people, real stories, the good and the bad of their lives and their faith. And the book of Daniel is such an exciting and captivating book in the Old Testament. And I'll be honest, I didn't read it when I was younger. I just heard the story of Daniel and the Lion's Den. I heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I didn't know all the details. And um, something that I want us to do this morning is whether we've grown up in church and we've heard about it and we know what happens or we've never heard of the book of Daniel and what happens with Daniel in chapter 6 in a minute, I want us to look at the word as if we've never heard this before. And that's just a cool thing that I like to do sometimes so I can get in a place to where I may see things I didn't see before and then I may understand some things in a different way without having this idea of I know what it's about already. And so the book of Daniel, what we see is we experience the Jewish captivity in Babylon through the example of Daniel and his three friends. We see their faithfulness to God during the season and we see the dangers that they encounter because of their commitment. And so the more deeply we dig into Daniel, the more we'll discover. But today... We're going to focus on Daniel, found in chapter 6. Now, some things you need to know about Daniel before we jump into it is this. Uh, Daniel lived as an exile in a foreign land throughout almost his entire life. Daniel interpreted dreams and writings. Uh, he had visions, and he was a praying man. And I'm embarrassed to say that uh, I didn't realize he was a praying man until I was 21 years old when uh, I'm at a summer camp uh, staff training, and we're meeting each other. And I introduced myself, and this one man, one guy says, oh, Daniel, oh, you're a praying man. You're a praying man, huh? And I was like, yeah. And in my head, in my heart, just shaking my head like, no, I'm not, because my prayer is limited to uh, before dinner and then when I go to bed. And since I don't have to worry about D-Halls anymore, I don't pray about not getting a D-Hall during the day in the morning. So my prayers were just very self-centered and about me. And, and, but, that, but God used that moment to hopefully transform me. Now, I'll be honest, my prayers are still sometimes self-centered about me more than I'd like to, to admit. Um, but hopefully one day I will say, somebody asked me, oh, Daniel, you're praying, and I'll say, absolutely, absolutely. Back to this Daniel, though. Um, in his career, he rose to become one of the only three high officials in the kingdom. And here's what you need to know about Daniel. It was known that he was 80 years old at this time. He wasn't a young buck getting thrown into the den of lions. He was 80. So there's still hope for you and me. Daniel chapter 6, let's read it, pick it up here in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, 
to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Verse 9, Therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? I just want to remind us that uh, snitches get stitches here, okay? We're going to find that out in a minute too. The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. I want to just pause for a second. And as I was reading this, again for the first time, I looked at it and I said, Hmm, there's a man of God that is being plotted against in secrecy by people who were jealous of his position. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Let's keep going, though. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, watch what it says the king was, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. I get tired of those people in my life, I'll be honest. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, watch this, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. You see what the king did? The king thought about how he could save Daniel, could find no way to do it, and hoped in Daniel's God that he would deliver Daniel from the den. It's pretty impressive. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions or entertainment were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And this next verse is really hard to read. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages, and watch what he says here, that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Wow. Wow. Man, like that story is incredible for a lot of reasons. And we're going to jump into that here. One, first of all, Daniel didn't compromise his convictions and his values. He didn't compromise his beliefs. The subtext of Daniel's entire story is about faithfulness to the one true God. It starts in the very first chapter when Daniel refuses to compromise his dietary restrictions with the king's rich food. And then we see in chapter 3 how it's when Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. And then we see now in, verse, in chapter 6, I mean, excuse me, we see Daniel's defiance of King Darius's law against prayer. Because you need to know what got him thrown into the den of lions was his defiance to not pray to the God of Israel. But watch how he was defiant about something that he had no control over. He didn't try to overpower something. He didn't try to uh, slander someone for what they did. In humility, he approached the Lord and said, here's where I'm at. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of that's convicting in a way that makes me realize whenever I don't have control or power over something, I tend to try to want to change my circumstances more than trust in the one who is over the circumstances. And so I think Daniel, what we see here is he didn't compromise his convictions and values because his defiance to pray to anyone other than the Lord of Israel is what got him put into the den of lions. Now, what happens here, though, instead, since Daniel took that approach, is it sets the stage for God to show his power to deliver his people and for God to be glorified in it. And so we see Daniel's faithfulness to God. It shows up in the face of adversity and the adversaries that come against him. 
The church, it's important to remember that throughout history, God's people have consistently found themselves in cultures where they were the minority, and they had to choose faithfulness despite strong pressure to conform. Because church, revolutions are born out of persecution, out of suffering, and out of inconvenience, not out of power. Throughout the history of God's people, the revolutions that we know about have come from seasons of suffering, persecution, and inconvenience. And we don't need to confuse persecution with inconvenience because those are two different things. Revolutions don't come from power. They come from persecution, suffering, and inconvenience. And so because of this, I have a question for us to ponder before we go any further. At what cost, like Daniel, are we willing to meet with the Lord regularly? And before I say that, why that's a question... Let me just tell you things that I won't miss, all right? I won't miss a Razorback basketball game, especially in this season. Woo, pig suey, okay? Now, I'll be honest, it was a tough game last night, but when you, <laughs> but when you give up 44 points in the paint in the first half, it's hard to overcome that, okay? We're not going to talk about basketball. I'm done with that, but just want to lay it out there. Another thing I won't miss is my daughter's soccer games and gymnastic practices. I'm not going to miss those. And uh, I tell her three things before the game in every practice. I said, hey, I want you to have a lot of fun. I want you to play and work really hard. And I want you to be a great teammate. And she ended up scoring a couple goals yesterday because she was a great teammate. She worked hard and she had a lot of fun. That was awesome. She's really cool. I love her. <laughs> the other thing that I won't miss, and I highly encourage you as well if you're in this boat, is not to miss your anniversary because uh, <laughs> that would bring severe consequences that uh, we don't have time to get into right now. But if I'm honest... You know what I'll miss, though? Especially when I go to bed a little bit later than normal or when I have to have an earlier morning than normal or I get up and I just don't feel like it. You know what I'll miss? You know what I'll sacrifice? The time that I've set aside with the Lord. Not that morning's the only time you can do it, but for me, that's when God has said, hey, this is when you are going to meet with me. <laughs> can I just tell you that meeting with the Lord regularly is what brings about faithfulness? And I encourage our students, if all you do is meet with the Lord on Wednesday and Sunday, you've got five other days that are weighing pretty heavy on you. And church, I encourage you in the same way. If this is your time to meet with the Lord, and the other six days there's not a moment, I encourage you to press into that in a way you haven't before. Because that's what's going to allow us to see ourselves live lives like Daniel, not because we choose to in the moment when, ad when adversaries come against us. Because... Daniel prayed three times a day. Same time, same place, same bat channel, right? Now, I get it. Things happen, right? Things happen. We all have habits, though. Like, let's think about this. Hopefully, most of us brush our teeth every night, okay? Many of us probably go on a run or hit the gym every morning. We're not going to miss that. And some of us acquire bad habits like chewing our nails or on the end of a pen. Psychology Today has an article about habit transformation. I love this quote from it. It says, habit formation is the process by which new behaviors become automatic. Old habits are hard to break, and new habits are hard to form. Amen. That's because the behavioral patterns we repeat, watch this, most often are literally etched into our neural pathways. And the article goes on and says there's a difference between routines and behaviors. While a routine involves repeated behavior, it's not necessarily performed in response to an ingrained impulse like a habit is. 
My college baseball coach told me that it takes 2,500 perfect repetitions to break a bad habit in my swing. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I took it as gospel, and I got on the tee, and I worked on it, right? Here's the point in all of this. Discipline changes us. Discipline changes us. Think of a professional athlete. Think of a concert pianist. Think of your favorite musician or actor or actress. Like, discipline changes us. Daniel was well-versed in the Jewish custom of praying three times a day. And this routine altered what his habitual automatic response was to changing circumstances in his life. Because when you have taught your brain and your body and your soul to respond to all circumstances with prayer, it becomes automatic. Because remember, he found out King Darius signed it, and what did he do? He went to pray again. And this brings us to the place that we see that the story of Daniel in the den of lions highlights the character of Daniel. We see that Daniel was always faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Obviously, this speaks of Daniel's character. And like so much in this book, Daniel's confronted with a request for his ultimate loyalty. Remember, Darius had appointed these leaders and administrators to oversee the kingdom to prevent any losses of his. And verse 3 tells us that Daniel did his job as an administrator exceptionally well. King Darius noticed this and uh, was, he was different than the other administrators because he had this excellent spirit within him. And because of this, he puts plans in place to place uh, Daniel over the entire empire. And so what happens in verse 4, the other administrators and high officers begin searching for some fault in Daniel, but they couldn't find anything. Why? Because he was faithful, he was responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. And remember, he was 80 years old. He had been pruned, and he had been refined. So if you've compromised on something, that's okay, right? There's grace. But man, may we strive to be an example like Daniel was, but there's a way that we do that. Because Daniel became this man of character because of his habit and his practice of spending time with the Lord and being changed. And so when the king decided to promote him, his colleagues plotted against him, right? Using something they knew he would be unable to comply with. And that was a request by the king for total loyalty and worship to him alone. Now, in their polytheistic society, Darius's decree in verse 9, it would not have banned all worship and prayer to the other gods indefinitely. It's just 30 days. But his advisors convinced him to put a temporary ban in place. John Walford, in his commentary on Daniel, says that the probability is that Darius regarded this act as a pledge of loyalty to himself and a token of their desire to respect his authority to the utmost. And so King Darius is like, okay, you want to honor me? Then cool. Uh, That's fine with me. And I think we can understand and see that in the response of King Darius whenever he heard that Daniel was the one that was needed to be arrested. Because he had anguish and anxiety and worry and the dread and the angst and confusion on what to do when Daniel's arrested and put into the den of lions. The Bible tells us he fasted. He said, I don't want anything to come in my room tonight. I just want to be by myself. And church, if you do any research in the marketing and branding field, you'll quickly discover this term, brand loyalty. When people are particularly committed to a specific brand or product, they keep coming back for more, right? They tell their friends about the brand. They purchase other products because they trust the brand. And they can be convinced to purchase things they don't even need or want because they love the brand so much and want to support it. Loyalty is a powerful thing. Like, we know that. Loyalty is a powerful thing. 
And when we place ultimate loyalty in fickle humans or in earthly institutions, we will be disappointed. But when we place our ultimate loyalty in the only source who deserves it, we find freedom. We find freedom to overcome those things. And Daniel did just that because he placed his entire life and his entire hope in the God of Israel. Daniel gave his allegiance and his loyalty to God. So in the den of lions, or as we saw, more like in the den of death, Daniel's tossed to the lions in what is seemingly his final day, but he sees the benefit of his loyalty and commitment to the Lord in that moment. Now, I might be going out on a branch here, but I'm willing to bet that if Daniel wasn't as committed to meeting with the Lord regularly as he was, he would have sacrificed his prayer time in meeting with the Lord to abide by the decree signed by King Darius. But it doesn't stop there because the story has a main character, and it's not Daniel. The main character is God. Daniel is just the supporting role. And what a great supporting role he had, right? The story of Daniel in the lion's den highlights the character and nature of God. It speaks of God's faithfulness. It speaks of God, his sovereignty over the circumstances of Daniel's life and protects him from the den of lions. And it speaks of how God proved that what King Darius said is true in verse 27, that he rescues and that he saves, that he performs signs and he performs wonders. And in regards to God's faithfulness and sovereignty, church, we are so consumed with protecting ourselves today that we forget to remember following God isn't necessarily about safety. It's about following the one who is good. It's about following the one who is good because he's proven himself time and time again. I love how C.S. Lewis kind of put this in his novel, uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh, you know, there's this, there's this rumor that the king is on the move, that Aslan is on the move, and he's coming, and Mr. Beaver tells the children that, well, Aslan's a lion. He's the lion, the great lion. So one of the four children, young Susan, says, oh, I thought he would be a man. Is he quite safe? Is, I'd feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Church, many people today live in such fear with rumors of war and disease that we forget with our anxious thoughts that the king is on the move and that the king is good. And in the story of Daniel and the den of the lions, we see that the king is on the move and that he's good and he's for his purposes. Church, we are so finite in our perspective that it's so easy to get bogged down in what's happening right now in our lives, in our community, in our country, in our world. But we need to remember that not only is God always at work, he's at work toward a particular end as he was in the story of Daniel. Because there is no captivity, no vote or election, no war, no trial, no cyber attack, no cryptocurrency bill, no administration, no suffering, no persecution, and absolutely no inconvenience that's going to undermine God's ultimate plan to rescue sinners like you and me through his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing will undermine God's ultimate plan to rescue us from our own demise. Because God is always at work toward a particular end. And that end is like in this story here. Let's look at Daniel 6, 25 through 27 again. He says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, 
peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He rescues and he delivers. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Amen, amen, and amen. And if we clapped right now, we would clap, right? Because who gets the glory here? Not Daniel. The God of Israel does. The living God. He gets the glory. The God whose kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion will have no end. He's the one who saved Daniel from the den of the lions. The one who works wonders and and miracles and signs. Like he's the one who gets the glory here. So whose faith was King Darius in? Because this is interesting to think about. What we do know, verse 16, the example of Daniel influenced Darius to hope that Daniel's God would save him from the den of lions. Like Daniel's influence convinced Darius to hope in the same God that Daniel hoped in. I can't say for sure, but according to verse 25 and 27, it looks pretty clear that King Darius sees the truth of who God is from the decree that it proclaimed at the end of the story, right? And so for me, I'm looking at it then, I'm like, man, what a God that we serve that despite us, we can have an influence if we only trust in the one who delivers and not necessarily getting out of our circumstances. Just a couple small points to consider as we close up here. I want to consider the contrast of what happened to the men who talked maliciously to Daniel. Sin lured him and enticed them because they were put lower than Daniel in positions of authority. And what happened, verse 24, we see that them, along with their wives and children, how hard is that to read? Were cast into the den of lions where they were overpowered. The point is this. Sin will kill you, and it will affect your family. Don't get caught in the weeds of what King Darius chose to do to punish those men and their families. But remember this. The same spirit of sin lures and entices us today. It lures and entices us today because sin will kill you and will directly affect those you love. And that's why we need to have the discipline of meeting with the Lord regularly and consistently with the particular end of being more like Jesus in mind. Not to just be getting out of a circumstance. When Daniel's made aware of his dire situation, he does the best thing possible. He prays. Here's what we know about Daniel and his prayers. His concern was not limited to his immediate circumstance, but he continued to pray for God's larger project of redemption to be worked out. And we see that later on in Daniel. Daniel's hope, finally, wasn't in being delivered. His hope was in the deliverer. In other words, Daniel couldn't see how his circumstances would turn out But what Daniel did is he went to the one who he knew was good and was in control of the circumstances. And so a couple questions as we end here, church, this morning to think about and to uh, have a great lunch over is this. Do we tend to put more hope in our circumstances changing or do we put our complete hope in the one over our circumstances? Because it's hard to have hope in simply the one over our circumstances rather than in the one changing our circumstances if we don't know the one. So the question we have to ask ourselves in order to get to this place that we trust the one and not just getting out of our circumstances is this. Does our commitment to our time with the Lord resemble Daniel's commitment? 
And what are we willing to sacrifice? And at what cost are we willing to meet with the Lord? Because church, we're going to feel at times that there's despair, like the world is ending, it's crashing down, but we don't need to give in to that feeling of despair and instead view those moments as opportunities to become more hopeful, more reliant, and more dependent on God and the work that he's doing, and in turn become more resilient living in a culture where we are the minority. And may we see gospel revolutions come from our dependence upon God in seasons of suffering, in seasons of persecution, and in seasons of inconvenience. Father, we're grateful for who you are. And God, our hope, I hope, is ultimately in you. Not getting out of a circumstance, but in you. So God, I hope and I pray that for my friends in this room and my family in this room, that we will be people who remember that revolutions come from seasons of persecution and suffering and inconvenience. Because God, it sets the stage for you to be glorified and for you to work deliverance and work healing, but also work your will to be done in our lives. So God, I hope that as we walk out of here today that we would see that we will never be people of influence like Daniel if we don't spend time with you. That if we don't set aside and spend intentional time with you regularly. So Father, would you help us to be people that look like your son Jesus, and spending time with you to work towards that end. We love you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray.